At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Uh, What a morning. Futures are steady, but the news flow is fierce between earnings, Microsoft, Tesla, Airlines, Mnuchin on Squawk as CARES 4.0 takes shape, China, and jobless claims up for the first time since March. We're going to talk to the CEOs of Southwest, AT&T, Dow, and Union Pacific this morning, Jim. The hard thing today, Jim, is going to know where to start. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that last night uh, the news flow was, as you said yesterday, uh, heavily weighted toward Microsoft, which people regard as disappointment. I think that uh, disappointment is not having the greatest court in the world. That's let's just say that uh, today. I think that the focus is what's going to happen when these uh, benefits end and which companies are going to be able to continue to deliver the numbers. Like, for instance, Chipotle had a great number. Will that be impacted? Whirlpool had a great number last night. Will that be impacted? What are we going to see with Southwest Air? We had a fantastic interview this morning with American. And then Secretary Mnuchin, I felt, once again, sounds like there's some room to get a deal done. We need a deal, or else we're going to find ourselves with a consumer who's too strapped. And I think that that's what I'm looking at for next week. And then, of course, I'm looking at Tesla because uh, when I see a number like that, I say to myself, this guy is everything that we thought he might be. I guess Tesla is a good place to start there, Jim, uh, because the commentary this morning uh, really pivots around the sale of those credits and whether or not that counts as fair profitability. Yeah, I I think the commentary should be uh, two things. One is that he has got this whole thing going on with solar and with energy that we don't talk about enough that he talked about. And then the second thing is he's got uh, the world is his oyster right now. I got the sense when he talked about Berlin that he's so confident that Berlin, when it opens, they got great pictures of it. It will be blowout. Austin, when they do trucks, blowout. China, blowout. The idea that he can sell uh, 20 million cars, uh, when you listen to them, you say, Absolutely. Absolutely can sell 20 million cars. It was one of the most impressive professional conference calls I have been on versus the amateur hours that he used to run. David, it was so impressive. So, yeah. Um, No, he's come a long way in in that regard, um, given what used to be, as you point out, more emotional responses to certain things. But then again, things are going extraordinarily well. So, you know, you're referring, Jim, to times when there was a lot more challenging uh, that were more challenging right. times that were more challenging for uh, for your friend, Mr. Musk. Um, by the way, he still thinks A.I., because I always think of you and the simulation no, that he, he says you AI. potentially are. Yeah, he's still worried about it. He's still worried about it. He says the people I see being the most wrong about A.I. are the ones who are very smart because they can't imagine a computer could be way smarter than them. And that's the flaw in their logic. They're just way dumber than they think they are. 
Well, he should have uh, stuck with he, with NVIDIA, which uh, Jensen Wong was a huge believer that the machines can be, uh, with, with guidance of people, much, much smarter. And they seem to somehow, like, they're not working out together. One of the things that I thought was just fantastic was when he cried out and said, we need more nickel for batteries, which, of course, is valet. Hmm. Uh, they, there's a Norlisk in Russia is not going to help him. But if you want the you know, nickel business reached uh, 94.2 KTs, which is kilotons. Uh, so and when he cries out that somebody has to help us in nickel, it's valet. I always like to help him because when I met him, he was so miserable to me that the only way I can help, the only way I can change the course is to be grateful and help him. Valet, Mr. Musk. <laughs> there. Okay, don't waste your time with anybody we else. Do have at least, we do have at least one upgrade today as analysts play catch-up. Cowan goes to market perform. They say we fully admit we've been wrong the last few years, and the shares tend to work, they add, when new things are coming. And Musk did address the topic of profitability last night. Here's what he said. We need to, you know, not go bankrupt. Obviously, that's important because that will fail in our mission. Um, but we're not trying to be super profitable either. Obviously, we're like, you know, profitability is like one percent or something. You know, this one or two percent. It's not. It's not crazy. Um, last quarter was only point one percent. So we want to be profitable. Like I think, just we want to be like slightly profitable and maximize growth, and make the cars as affordable as possible. That's like what what we're trying to achieve. Jim, it's uh, remarkable still uh, for a company that has one percent of the global market. Market cap of Tesla is basically what three times the S and P auto sector. Well, I think people, if you listen to the call, you think it's a big technology company. Uh, and so, therefore, it's uh, right up there with some of the other technology companies that we follow. Uh, did they execute better than Microsoft? No. But the expectations for their execution uh, have never been higher, Tesla, and they've vastly exceeded it. Uh, I, I thought it was just a it was a lovable quarter. It was a teddy bear quarter. And the, uh, it, it was one of those quarters where his the Teslites have to be proud. Uh, it was just so strong. And that's because there's demand everywhere. I mean, he even says, listen, we don't have to talk about demand. I mean, yes, he talked about profitability. But when you have demand, when the other guys are closing plants because they don't have demand, what it says is you're not selling what they're selling. You're making something entirely different from what they're making. And I know that we had uh, Mr. Jackson on, uh, for uh, AutoNation. And, yeah, they're selling a lot of uh, pickup trucks or with 150s, whatever. This man is selling technology. And I think that he's talking about fully assisted and then he's talking about driverless. I mean, it's just he's thinking so much bigger. David, he's a big thinker. He makes us look like Lilliputians. He's always been a big thinker, uh, but he also is actually executing on his vision, which I guess is the key here, uh, despite what were the doubts and have been the doubts throughout. And despite what is, of course, a, an extremely highly valued uh, stock price um, based on the belief that he will continue to deliver not just cars, but in so many other areas, whether it is Tesla solar whether it is uh, the promise of AI, controlled as Musk believes it must be, but in terms of um, uh, uh, automated uh, cars. Uh, and so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, Jim. This has been certainly one of the more remarkable stocks of this year, right. certainly of this period. 
But then it does take me back, I guess, guys, to the broader conversation about the markets. I mean, we've talked so often about them lately being about five stocks, six stocks. You can throw Tesla in there if you want. Sure. Really, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. There are the five largest U.S. stocks. I know we've talked about it. You've seen this. But it, it is worth mentioning, Jim. They account now for 22% of the S&P 500's market cap. Five names. It was 16%. Uh, of that market cap a year ago. And they're up, what, 35% year to date, where the remaining 495 S&P stocks are actually down 5%. What are we supposed to do, It truly is just about a few stocks. Is it our job to tell people, listen, you've got to sell this because it's too big a part of the S&P? What do we do? No. These are immensely... Look, those are all Netflix babies. They're immensely profitable. What are we supposed to do? Blast them? Say to people, listen, at home, you're nuts to own Amazon. It's too big a part of the S&P? No, but the concern is, of course, about market breadth, I guess, Jim. Uh, it is the narrowest it's been in what over twenty years. I know, but and the idea being that do. if you see any, if you see any give up at all in any of these names, Microsoft or any of them, the downside could be significant. And to make it up for the S and P five hundred index, you're going to have to have enormous outperformance by those other. Stocks. No, you're right. Those I mean, are the 495. There were a lot of <laughs> congratulations on the Microsoft call. Sadia did a really, really good job. Opco what, downgraded it today. I thought that was needless. Uh, it's a good quarter. But, David, if they do another quarter like this that doesn't blow the numbers away, then I think you're going to start saying, you know what? Uh, maybe Microsoft's got hair on him because most of these companies don't. Look at Facebook. He managed to, he, Mark Zuckerberg, come up with Instagram shops. And immediately the numbers explode, and he's going to be on Capitol Hill, and he doesn't really fare that well in these, in these different uh, – I know he's got some smart people working with him now when he's on the Hill, but what am I going to do, tell people to sell Facebook because, well, you know, um, Union Pacific had a good quarter. Uh, Okta, Zscaler, Zendesk. I mean, what are you, CrowdStrike, CrowdFlare? What am I supposed to do? Palo Alto? What are we supposed to do? What do we tell people? Well – I mean, Jim, historically, you've told people if you're sitting on a 20 percent gain, don't feel guilty about selling. Well, I like I think that they are. There's a lot of people who are being hogs, pigs. They should sell some. Uh, You know, I've been we had to sell some Amazon for my travel trust because we're the Amazon fund. We had to sell some Facebook because we were the Facebook fund. We refuse to sell Apple because you have to own Apple, not trade it. But I, I, I think a lot of us are stuck thinking about, well, what else am I supposed to buy? And the ETFization, there's so many ETFs that have these, uh, and they're sticky money, S&P sticky money. Uh, Carl, I don't know what to do. I mean, I look at 19, I never want to repeat 1999, 2000, but that would, to not repeat it would require people to say, I don't care how much you like Apple. It's time to sell Apple and you've got to put your money in, um, well, um, I don't know. Why, Dell? Dell's not doing as well. Give me something. There's there's housing. I mean, Pulte has brought all their workers back. Whirlpool last night, Jim, people redoing their kitchens. 
like never before. People are moving and they're staying indoors well, once they move. Uh, so that's that's one area. X tech, I guess. I do like the housing sector. I like Lowe's. I, I think Lenar had a new high yesterday. I really like Home Depot. Whirlpool's been inconsistent, but uh, Stanley, uh, Stanley Buck and Decker's been good. I, those are good ideas. I mean, I, 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 I no hyperbole. I think that if you had something else that was really a killer, you could pull back and sell some. Uh, you could sell some Facebook ahead of the ahead of the the Capitol Hill antitrust. Uh, you could sell some Alphabet, but I think the quarter is going to be blow, you know, just a blow away. Sell some Tesla, but I, I just think that in the end, the other ones are not great long term secular stories. Remember what Elon Musk said to me before he pants me and said that I was just a AI figment in his imagination hologram. He said there'll be a corner. In the northwest Colorado, where he is going to have all the energy of this country coming from, giant solar field. That, really? Well, that's okay. what, when I questioned that at the dinner table is when he decided to mortify me and make it. me look like a, a, the fool that I, I am. Because I'm fool. I said, I said, I don't no, think that's funny. possible. I think I've I heard think about that friction. conversation. Yeah, 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 I've heard about that conversation for years now, but I don't ever remember the solar... The solar array in solar northwest array Colorado. So. In northwest Colorado. Yeah, I, okay. I happen to say, I said, American Electric Power wouldn't go for that. I don't think Dominion would be. I think that Semper, you know, and he said, you don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you exist. It's another way to argue. I've never seen anyone argue like that, but it's, he said that I don't even exist. I'm just in his imagination. It was new. Yeah. I, Guys, can't, uh, I can't touch you. You're, well, you're not there. Look. See? Can't get. We'll, we'll take a break and, and save some room for AT&T, Southwest, Dow, Chipotle, Twitter, a lot to get to. COVID numbers, of course, Mnuchin on Squawk and what Pelosi told Jim on Mad Money last night. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. will be based on approximately 70% wage replacement. And we're also going to have a lot of tax credits to incentivize companies to hire people. And then finally, just let me say, you know, there's a lot of bipartisan support for extending the PPP. I've had conversations with Cardin and Rubio. And we want to have second checks for companies whose revenues are down 50% or more and need more money, small businesses to get people back to work. That's Mnuchin on Squawk this morning. Uh, the White House clearly softening, Jim, their position on payroll tax. He referenced uh, CARES 4.0 and there could be CARES 5.0, but there's some who believe that if these benefits do run to the end of the year, that this could be the last package of the year. Well, look, I think the discussion at the end of the year will be, will be are you going to take the J&J vaccine? Are you going to take the Pfizer vaccine? Or are you going to take the Oxford vaccine? 
It is not going to be about CARES. I thought that was great about what Secretary Mnuchin talked about. It was not a convoluted discussion about the about the uh, payroll tax cut, which, of course, does threaten the uh, the till for Medicare. Uh, it was about coming together and making it so that the companies that are just closing uh, let's say a restaurant. And I know he cares passionately about this, as does, does, Nancy, does Speaker Pelosi. Look, it wasn't the fault of the restaurant it, it, and all those workers. It's the, it is the fault of the illness. I think Secretary Mnuchin has been always saying it's business interruption insurance. We're going to and, you know, we're not going to help Brooks Brothers. We're, we're not going to help Neiman Marcus. But we are going to help the, the companies that have that hire 18 people. And have to close because they're not allowed to open, which is the case in New York and the places I work, I, I own. I thought he's soft. I thought that uh, that he has been compromised in the end, compromised, compromised. He wants to get the job done. More PPP is the way to be able to get it directly to the institutions that are just closed and can't hire until we get the vaccine. And that's this is the bridge to the vaccine, this and mass. And I think that without them, uh, it's a bridge too far. Yeah. Well, there's something else that's a bridge, which is testing and being able to get results quickly. And that still seems to be a problem. The secretary did talk about an additional 16 billion. You add it to the 9 billion that's already in the pipe, you get to 25. Although the administration previously, as you guys know, had been against any additional spending on testing. I mean, Texas and California are two largest states, right? California has now surpassed New York in total cases. I think it had uh, 12,800 new cases on Tuesday. Texas added almost 10,000 on Wednesday. Hospitalizations still going up. It's not as though this crisis has somehow passed in terms of the virus itself, guys. No. And it's unclear where we are in testing, Jim, in well, terms of our ability to actually be able to identify when the virus is spreading did, quickly in a particular area. Well, Dave, do you think they're waiting three to five days at the NFL? I mean, the game no. starts and you think they're waiting until uh, the results on Thursday night? I mean, obviously, every player is going to be tested before the game starts, and it's not going to be one of those tests where they have to wait three days because by that point the game's over. So I think that well, there's, a, there's going got to be two f- classes they- of people who get tests these days, David. In four, You know, right. all four sports are going but, to be playing in the next few weeks. I do not think but, any of those players are going to have to wait three days to get the results. No, I know. But how do you fully open up the economy, as the secretary says he wants to, without that kind of testing capability and the ability to get results quickly? I mean, I think of colleges, which many of which still plan, thankfully, to try to open with students on campus. But testing is a real part of that. If they can't do it once a week or whatever it may be, they're not going to be in a position to understand if the virus is there and where it's spreading. Well, then you have it's to not believe they're going to happen, Jim. They need a urine or a blood test. We need to do something at home. Uh, a pregnancy-like test. If we get that, then these problems go away. So it's going to have to be invention. These current, the current way to do it, they can't do it unless you have uh, the pull that the NFL or the NHL or the Major League Baseball or NBA has. Uh, unless you have that pull, then you are going to be left to finding out too late and in that interim be giving this incredibly contagious disease to everyone. So it has to be invention. We, this current method ain't working. I love those for companies. Sure. Uh, on a week where, yeah, I know LabCorp this week, Jim, said uh, the, the caseload is outstripping its own capacity. Yeah. And the wait in Arizona is not three days. It's up to 11 days, oh, yeah. which completely wipes out any usefulness of, of contact tracing. Yeah, we'll I mean, take I've a break had... here. Obviously, the markets, uh, the markets are watching something else entirely as the NASDAQ today could break the record for the longest streak without back-to-back losses. We're back in a minute. 
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. You can't look away from some of the airline results uh, this week. We got United American, and we will talk to Southwest Gary Kelly in a few moments about the level of demand, deliveries, uh, and what airlines are in for in the era post-COVID in a moment. As you can see, lots of CEO interviews to get to, lots of earnings to get to, including Chipotle Mexican Grill. That's the feature on the Mad Dash, Jim. Right. And uh, Brian Nicola, I believe, will be on later this afternoon. But what I'll tell you is, is that there's some people who didn't care for it. The stock is uh, trading down a bit. But I think that's nuts. Why? Because this company has perfected making more money digitally by people not going in the store than people going in the store. And it's almost as if the stores themselves, the restoration of the eating inside, ah, doesn't even matter. There's so many restaurants that are dying. Chipotle is thriving. The Chipotle Lane is brilliant. They have the best technology. Uh, The fact that the digital sale, the uh, comp store sales down almost 10%, it doesn't matter. Chipotle travels really well. They've got fantastic delivery that they got great deals with. This is the store. This is the restaurant. That, it, that deserves to have its stock up 41%. Congratulations to Chipotle. Not defeated by COVID, but thriving. And thriving because they were able to develop a digital channel or right. develop it even more robustly, I guess, during this period. Something right. that will stay with them forever. We've talked so often, Jim, about how so much change has been accelerated. Right. This is something, obviously, that Chipotle was working on, was continuing, but... I assume it's now a lot more mature than perhaps they thought it would ever be four months ago. Yes. I mean, what what they have always been worried about are crowds, our lines, the line being too long. Now, suddenly, social distancing makes it even warmer that the line not be too long. So their customers have been driven to picking stuff up in cars, the Chipotle's, uh, uh, or making it so that there's contactless uh, uh, delivery. And what I really love about it is that they are going to the REITs, to the mall REITs, and saying, hey, listen, you didn't like our Chipotle's. Well, you know what? To hell with you. We want more Chipotle's. We need it to put in Chipotle's in uh, as many stores as they can. Brian Nickel is pure joy. Jack Hartung, the CFO, fantastic. This is a case where management saw what needed to be done and did it quicker than anybody else. They are a technology company that sells an unbelievably good burrito. (laughs) David? David, have you ever had Chipotle? Yeah, I have. I have. Really? I've had it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big favorite. My son likes it a lot. He enjoys it a great deal. What's a queso? I don't know. It's got cheese in it. It's got cheese. Yeah. A lot of cheese, right? Isn't that what queso is? You ever have the bowl? It's good. You ever have the bowl? I have had a bowl. I've had a bowl. I've had a burrito. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever get the box? But I'm not. Did you ever get the box? No. I'm not. Okay. That's good. I don't go there that often. All right. All right, just no. testing. You're amazing, David. Trick you questions. Really, it trick turns questions. Out that, really? Yeah. <laughs> I got a tractor supply right. too, Carl. You Did you see that interview on Squawk this morning? Wow. I oh mean, my God, we talk Carl. about tailwinds, Jim, but 
you have multiple tailwinds, and you got a couple of shout-outs on that one. I can't believe but I am a gentleman farmer. People may not know that. I am going to do uh, – I'll do 100 bottles of sauce. I'll probably do 40 bottles of pickles. Uh, and in order to get the job done, you got to go to Tractor Supply. Uh, if you ever have uh, – we had Longhorns. Man, you got to go to Tractor Supply. And they have a veterinarian, and that's what you really need. For, for farm animals, you need a vet. It's not like a dog. David is a dog. <laughs> Although your tweets yesterday about the dogs who uh, who cry out when they hear your name, that was uh, that was a good one. I love Uh, there's the opening bell, guys, as uh, we see some breath fill in. Jim, you know, I mean, the enthusiasm for some of the earnings uh, might be offset by claims, which we mentioned at the top. uh, 1.4 million up for the first time since March. You look at some of the high frequency employment data out of firms like J.P. Morgan, and there's more talk that July non-farm. Uh, could be a nail biter, maybe a surprise drop. Uh, I think that, remember, I, I said that the market could do, this is from Larry Williams, my favorite technician, that the market could peak uh, on the 27th of July. He was, he's been right the whole way. And that would be anticipation of a not great uh, unemployment, number, but that may again be a buying opportunity. What I like about this market is when you do blow out the quarter, as Pulte did, as Whirlpool did, uh, as you know, Traction Supply did, you're rewarded with a stock that goes higher. Uh, Twitter actually did a good job. Danaher reported a great quarter. Hershey was a great quarter. So you report a great quarter, and the stock goes up. There's not a lot of, uh, 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 of thought to it anymore. It's like, well, that was a good quarter. Let's go buy the stock. Uh, does it stay up all day? I don't know. If it's not a bank, it tends to. It's a different kind of market. There's, it's positive. Yeah. yeah the tr- There's a lot of news on the Twitter. Um, Monetizable DAUs, highest in the history of that metric. Expenses up only, I think, uh, 15 versus, or 5 versus what we thought was going to be low teens. And then they did comment, Jim, on this uh, subscription service exploration, which they said was early. And uh, Dorsey did say on the call that it would be a high bar to expect people to pay for Twitter, although we know how excited the possibility got some people last week. In 2021, they will offer service where if you want to be able to off, uh, have direct response in your area, if you want to say a 10 block area and uh, every time someone puts in a, a uh, some sort of, let's say, uh, taco, um, I can go pay and have my, me uh, have people directed to my to my restaurant that will be available in 2021. So before you sell the stock, remember that that's what's that's what uh, the revenue stream that everybody wants. It's not ready yet, but it will be six months from now. So I would not sell the stock. It's going to happen. It is going to happen, and it's going to be a huge revenue stream. Not unlike what happened when when, uh, when Zuckerberg realized that Instagram could be amazing for small to medium-sized business. Twitter is underinvested in the ability to be able to uh, to take that check. I would like to write them a check, but I write a check to to Ned Siegel. I mean, it, it doesn't work, I and mean, he's the CFO. But they'll be able to do that, and, and I think that that's going to be very exciting, be very positive revenue stream. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, as we as our viewers have seen, of course, we're going to have John Stanky join us for his first interview as CEO of AT&T. Remember, he took over the job uh, on July 1st. So this is the first reported quarter. AT&T stock. Uh, there he is. Not doing too much this morning. No. Um, generally not a, not a bad quarter. Um, you know, certainly in, in terms of on the wireless side, it, it gets a bit complicated. They have this pledge where they will not actually cut people off, even though they're not paying their bill, but they're not counting them. 
So that was some 300, I think 38,000 or so. Um, so they were down 100 and roughly 150,000 on wireless. You know, we always keep an eye on DirecTV and, and how the subs are doing there. Not particularly well, as you might imagine, especially because bars, restaurants, places that often are subscribers have not been open uh, to some extent. Um, on the call so far, uh, Mr. Stanky sort of talking somewhat positively in terms of the AT&T rollout uh, and on buybacks saying, you know, listen, I'll tell you on buybacks, it's too early to call anything. The board is going to sit down at their annual planning cycle in September and broadly speaking, going to talk about capital allocation. They're talking about a dividend payout ratio of around 60 percent. Jim, um, the free cash flow number actually people are saying is a positive 7.6 billion uh, for the quarter. I thought that that would be what people would focus on. I think people continue to focus on, David, the 954,000 what uh, losses in uh, DirecTV, that uh, 338,000 people stopped paying their bill. Now, I think that that's an interesting kind of uh, a strike. Can you imagine? 338,000, a lot of people just say, listen, I can't do it. All right? It's a lot. And, and their pledges, they're not cutting them off, but they're not paying their bills. So they did not count them. And that, by the way, is going to make it... Potentially difficult in terms of apples to apples comparisons between AT&T and T-Mobile and Verizon. So we'll have to wait and see. You um, have a lot. You have your work cut out with with Mr. Stanky. Now we've got our work cut out out with Mr. Kelly. Shares of Southwest Air, uh, symbol love. I always like that. Love is for sale this morning. Airline posting a $950 million loss. Warning that travel demand will remain weak without the coronavirus vaccine. Enacting a strict new mask and screening policy because he's got horse sense. Joining us now, first on CNBC, not second or third, Southwest Chairman and CEO Gary Kelly. Gary, you continue to tell it like it is. Cash burned, tough, soft patch travel demand. Give me something. Give me something to say by love. <laughs> well, what more do you need? You know, horse sense. That's all we need, right? Uh, that's what it's going to take to get through this crisis. So uh, that's, our people have horse sense, that's for sure. Well, your people are staying. I mean, I think everyone else is trying to figure out how to fire people, how to cut people's wages, how to make it so that everybody is miserable. That's not your plan, is it? No, sir, it's not our plan. And our people, uh, obviously, they are the company, and they're doing a fantastic job. They work hard. They're resilient. They persevere. Uh, they know that we've got a war on this uh, pandemic, and, and they're up for the battle. So, uh, we, and Jim, you know, we offered uh, an early out program, a voluntary separation program, and extended leaves away from work. And we've got... Uh, 17,000 takers of that program, but it's voluntary. And we, the company was generous uh, and thankful, you know, for all their, uh, all their service. So I think that helps. Uh, it, it cushions the blow in, in terms of uh, uh, the need for less flights right now because demand is uh, down. But uh, the good news is in the second quarter, uh, we achieved what we set out to do. And uh, no one can be happy about losses, uh, you know, that, that we're incurring here. Uh, but we're making progress and um, definitely seeing some, some good signs uh, out, out there. We've got a soft patch here in the third quarter because of the spike in the COVID-19 cases. Um, but at the same time, the people that are flying, they're very complimentary of the product that we're offering and the execution we have against the Southwest Promise, 
Um, and uh, all in all, again, I just couldn't be uh, more thankful for what our people have uh, accomplished so far. Well, Gary, one of the things that uh, is painful is that here you got an old I, I didn't want to fly on a plane where the person next to me uh, is too close. And I don't want to apply, uh, uh, fly when a person has a mask. You, uh, if the person doesn't wear a mask, you have solved those two. I am ready to fly on Southwest. Uh, I got places I want to go. Uh, I, I, the fares are incredibly low. The air is better than in a building. What is going on that people aren't taking advantage of this? Well, I think even with those things, people are nervous. Now, you're right. The people either who have to go or who are considering it, they look at what we're offering. And I think those that pay attention, they judge it just like you do. It is a very high quality, very healthy, very safe experience. Understanding, again, we're in a pandemic and there's risk, but the risk is significantly mitigated. I think the issue then becomes where can you go? What can you do when you get there? Are you required to quarantine? Is Disneyland open? And all of those things. Uh, So um, I don't know about you personally, but I'm continuing to find that, okay, uh, you'd plan to come here. uh, We're going to limit the number of people or you can't bring guests or whatever it might be. So I think until we get out of this pandemic, you're going to see uh, very few events or large gatherings. That's going to hurt travel. You're going to have quarantines in certain places at times. And then you're just going to have uh, just general concerns um, about getting out and about. So uh, I'm with you. If people will wear the mask, please wear the mask. We can defeat this pandemic. Uh, the United States obviously is an outlier right now. We need to be doing what other countries have been successfully doing around the world in terms of crushing these cases. Uh- what are you going to say uh, to the government, which you still you got two point three billion in direct payroll support, uh, three point two billion altogether, uh, nearly one billion unsecured term loan. You want to get rid of that loan as fast as possible. What, what, what can you do? What can we do in terms of, of just having our enough money to be able to not have to take any well, money from the government? Well, I think we're in a great position at this point. So uh, as you saw in the release uh, in 2020, uh, which is, again, just a staggering number, we've raised uh, over $17 billion. So we've got total liquidity of $15.5 billion, which is way beyond anything that we would normally have. Uh, we're still in a net, even with that, we're in a net cash position, cash, cash versus debt. So... Um, uh, we've got our arsenal. We're ready to go. We need to manage our cash burn down every single quarter, and that'll be our goal here in the third quarter, to reduce the cash burn relative to what we did in second quarter with an ultimate goal of getting at least to break even, hopefully by the end of the year. I think the current spike in, in cases makes that more difficult. Uh, first quarter may be a more reasonable goal, but we're, I'm not giving up on that goal to be break-even cash flow by the end of the year. How do you do that? We've got to drive traffic, and we've got to manage our costs very, very carefully. And uh, the second quarter is a great, great evidence of what our people are able to do on the cost side. They've done a phenomenal job. Gary, are you surprised that the federal government, FAA, whatever, just doesn't mandate masks? Masks the moment you walk into an airport so that we feel safe when we fly. We're not worried. I just don't understand the, the laissez-faire attitude here that could wipe out this industry. Well, Jim, um, I have a little bit different opinion, and I have no problem with a mask 
mandate. I just don't think that it should be only for air travel. Let's mandate masks. I mean, you, you have to wear pants. Why can't we mandate that you have to wear a mask in, in a pandemic? Well, so I, mean, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's broader than air travel is my point. I, don't, I wouldn't punish the airlines relative to other industries in some people's view and only require it on an airplane when you ought to be wearing it everywhere else, and especially where you're in close proximity. We can beat this thing in three weeks if we listen to you. Three weeks. <laughs> Thank you so much to Gary Kelly, who runs the best airline I know and will be cash. I believe you're going to say if you say you're going to make money by, by the end of the year, you're going to make money. It's Gary Kelly from Southwest, simple LUV. You're up on that stock offering that he offered. Always great to see you, sir. Great to see you, Jim. All right. Uh, let's go to David. Thanks, Jim. We're going to go from one Texas company to another. AT&T CEO John Stanky will join us next. Of course, his first interview since becoming CEO just concluded his first conference call as the company's CEO. Welcome back. Wireless and entertainment giant AT&T reporting earnings this morning. The conference call around those earnings has just concluded. And we're very happy to have John Stanky, the company's CEO, join us now on CNBC. And John, happy to have you for your first interview as CEO. You've just concluded your first conference call as well. And I guess I'd love to just start there, uh, which is the Stanky era, so to speak, at AT&T has begun. How is it going to differ from that of your predecessor? Thanks, David. It's nice to be here today. We probably have to find a better way to brand that than the stanky era. It doesn't sound very good, does it? It needs a different last name. <laughs> well, all right, I won't be. <laughs> uh, look, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of work that Randall and I have done together over the last several years, and um, we've been real close on a lot of things. And I think there's a, a very strong consistency of our mind. And I I don't know that there's going to be any dramatic shift. Uh, what I would say is if I were to characterize what I would expect to see happen is um, I'd be very happy with a business that maybe is a little bit more focused business that, uh, as I've talked about and I talked about on the call, focused on our priorities of ensuring that we're growing connectivity. That's you know wireless broadband and it's fiber broadband that we're focused on what we can do with software-based entertainment products and using premium content to drive customer affinity on how to use those things. And if we are very focused on doing really well in those areas and we execute very well in those areas, uh, I will be very satisfied, you know, as my tenure in this job and working with the team to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, John. It's comments like the ones you just made in terms of, of focusing on the assets that have been assembled, but making sure you sort of focus on those that are growing. And even a comment that you just made on the conference call when you answered the question about is satellite necessary that gets people to believe that you may consider jettisoning direct TV. Uh, is that something you're considering? Well, I'm not going to speculate on anything, David. We always you know, have a policy, as you know, of not doing that. But um you know, what I care about are customers and our relationship with customers. And as I said from the start, when we did the direct TV transaction, what we were interested in is ensuring that we could build 
a platform that allowed us to do things like offer advertising into our customer base, allow them to take their entertainment wherever they go to do it on their terms. You know, we were talking about that back in 2015 and HBO Max and what we've done with ATT TV gives us some very capable platforms to ensure we can continue to evolve the product in that way. And to the extent that we're able to get those customers engaged with us on those platforms, then, you know, we're in a good place and we're okay with that. And if that takes us down a path that says satellite delivery is less important, so be it. But um, I'm I'm not going to speculate on where we go. Understood. Uh, Although satellite delivery does seem to be becoming less important, given you continue to lose subs. This is obviously a very difficult time. Bars and restaurants, for example, not open, and they're big users of the product. But you've also said, John, uh, as well, that TV and SVOD, you see them becoming one over the next few years. That would seem to indicate your belief that it's not necessarily a core asset, DirecTV. Well, again, you're distinguishing DirecTV, and you're looking at it as labeling it. I, I view the customers of DirecTV oftentimes as not necessarily attached to the asset per se. So, um, you know, what I clearly believe is that software-based technology platforms are really important for our business moving forward. And they're able to deliver the kind of product that a customer likes. And that's where we're focused on our investment and what we're going to do moving forward. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about some of that. HBO Max, of course, launches during this last reported quarter. Um, I'm looking at the sub numbers for HBO at the end of the year, 34.5 million. You end June with 36.3 million. Are you happy with the progress you made? Obviously, the service was just rolled out at the end of May. Yeah, I am. I'm really proud of what the team's done. And there were a lot of execution steps to get this done in the time frame we got it done to navigate through our existing relationships with many of our wholesale distributors to to build the software platform and do it in a way where it has performed incredibly well uh, to build a brand and a marketing position you know that that's not an insignificant amount of work and if you you know think back to the launch of Hulu or the launch of Netflix and gaining subscribers you know, to do what we did in 30 days there, um, you know, I'm I'm really pleased with the team. And it's very consistent with how we expected to come out of the gate. Uh, we, we told you in October when we announced this that this was not something that we were in for the short haul. We clearly indicated this was an imperative that we work over a number of years and that we build this new distribution base and we recognize that we're going to have to do it quarter by quarter and year by year. And we're right on plan with where we needed to be. And I'm particularly pleased with what I'm seeing in the wireless space right now. Our attach rates on these more premium unlimited plans and how we're seeing the buy up in our wireless subscriber base is really encouraging to me and right on point and consistent with what we what we wanted to see. The sequential increase in our broadband subscribers over last quarter, our fiber broadband subscribers, again, directly correlated to where we're offering HBO Max with our fiber product. So feel good about that. Hey, John, it's Carl. Uh, A lot of movie lovers have spent the week talking about Tenant, and you said uh, you can assure us that it will not migrate away from theatrical release. Uh, Does that mean that you're seeing something more constructive uh, in theaters than consensus? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think, as I said on the call, Carl, that I don't know that I can predict exactly when theater goers are going to return. And it, what's one of the problems around kind of reopening theaters, if you think about it, is um, you can't go and release something like Tenant and open it up geographically. When it releases in a theater, it pretty much needs to release nationwide. So if you have a major metropolitan area, say Los Angeles, it's totally out of check, but you have some part of the country that maybe is more in control, it doesn't necessarily give you an option to go open it in half the country. It just doesn't work very well that way. You know, my point on Tenant is um, it's a it's a movie and an experience that should be seen in theaters, and it was engineered to be that way. And as a result of that, it, it needs to show up that way. And certainly Christopher would like it to be that way. That's how he wants that that uh, piece of work that he's done to be seen by by moviegoers. And that's why it's going to be something that shows up in a theater. Uh, Mr. Stanky, Jim Kramer, first time I've uh, ever asked you a question. So I'm going to ask you a point of one. Uh, 338,000 people stop paying. Next month, we're going to get rid of that 600 bucks in additional uh, I know that when I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to have done well in my career, but the one thing I would do if I lost that money, I'd say, listen, maybe I have to cut out uh, ATT, but, but I really, uh, they don't care. They won't cut me off. This is like one of the great free rides. What do you do? You're one of the great free rides. <laughs> well, Jim, first of all, feel free to call me John. You don't have to call me Mr. Stanky. All right. And uh, I, I would tell you that I, I think we've been very disciplined around how we've managed the Keep America Connected construct. Um, in fact, the, the reality that we are telling you that there are going to be some customers that we have pulled out of our customer accounts for the second quarter in anticipation that they may not pay us is indicative of the fact that we've kept a careful eye on this and been very aggressive around how we manage it. Now, there's a limit to everything. Um, as you know, the Keep America Connected promise uh, did conclude at the end of June. Um, that's why we're making this adjustment to the customer base now. We've defined it and contained it for you. I think we've been very conservative, conservative in the assumptions that we've put out there, and we talked a lot about that on the call. So I, I don't feel this is something that's going to get out of control and We'll continue to work with our customers moving forward, as we always do, to try to be as flexible as we can and working through with them. But um, I, I don't know that I would consider our business model right now a free ride business model. You know, John, back to the broader business model, of course, and wireless being such a key part of it. I mean, you connect to a lot of small and medium sized businesses. What are you seeing on the ground right now? You're not issuing guidance. I would assume that's a reflection of your lack of certainty in terms of what's coming in the economy. Yeah, that's visibility is tough right now, David. And we've you know given some a little bit better clarity right now on what our investment levels are going to be for the balance of this year. And we clearly have given you indications that we feel very comfortable that the cash production of the business is going to put us in a very comfortable place on our dividend coverage as we move through this year. So, you know, we have reasonable visibility on what we can do to manage the cash dynamics on things. But, you know, where we are on the segment, the business segment in particular, it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge right now to, to guess where that's going to come out or forecast where that's going to come out. 
you know, we, we are in a bit of a unique position where our enterprise business definitely scales more to mid and up market. We're a little less dependent on smaller businesses. I do expect that those, those types of firms are going to have a, a tough third and fourth quarter of this year. Um, I mentioned on the call where we've already taken a lot of heat in our entertainment business in terms of bars and yeah. restaurants and what we do for satellite TV services into those locations. And, it, you know, it has impacted us. But, you know, I think we've been very careful about our estimates on cash, assuming that we're going to see a high correlation to pressured economic numbers in the third and fourth quarter, uh, how that's going to impact, you know, all of our customers. I had Gary on Right before I came on, you know, we, we are a big provider of services into the airline industry. And, you know, we've had to look at that and say, what's that going to do to our business moving forward? And there's there's aspects of manufacturing that have been hit harder than others. And we've had to make estimates on that. So we're not we're not optimistic and robust that we're going to see this strong economic recovery that's going to help our enterprise space in the third and fourth quarter. And our forecasts have tried to include that as much as possible. Uh, and finally, uh, John, just to end on 5G, many people expected mm-hmm. this would be the year of a big rollout. You're spending $20 billion in capital. A lot of that is going towards 5G. But you've said that you're over-indexed uh, to Apple products, and you'll line up well to Apple. Apple doesn't have a 5G phone, so I would assume we're not really going to be talking a lot about this for AT&T customers until, what, next year? Oh, not at all. I mean, in fact, today is the day we actually went nationwide on our 5G coverage. So whether you are an Apple customer or if you're, a, for example, a Samsung customer right now that has a 5G device, you now have 5G access on the AT&T network nationwide as of today. And that timing to get that work done was, was very much coordinated to an expectation that in the latter part of this year that we may see other 5G devices coming out from other manufacturers mm-hmm. Uh, that are more broadly available. And um, we would expect that uh, when that occurs, we're going to be in a great position. And, uh, and I expect, uh, as we've communicated, we're going to see an increase in the handset upgrade cycle as we get in the latter part of this year. In fact, that's one of the things that gives us confidence that we can still continue to grow our our wireless service revenues as we get in in the latter part of this year and what we had originally communicated um, you know, we, we said that the combination of what we're going to be able to do with HBO Max and getting people to buy up on unlimited plans and what would happen in 5G upgrade cycles would give us a good opportunity to get customers into those more robust unlimited plans. Now, whether we can get that, you know, growth in service revenues with the economic environment remains to be seen. But we still expect that there's going to be a pretty strong buy cycle in the latter part of this year that we'll benefit from John, we, uh, we have to leave it there for now. Certainly appreciate your taking some time with us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, and I hope you guys have a good rest of the week. You got it. We won't be calling it the Stanky era. We'll come up with something else. John, John Stanky, the CEO <laughs> of AT&T. Carl, over to you. All right. Uh, good stuff, David. Uh, Jim, what's coming up on MAD tonight? OK, very hot stock MP materials, which is uh, people want to know about rare uh, metals. Uh, well, we've got it tonight. And then lemonade. Uh, lemonade is very hot stock, and it's about it's not about lemonade. 
about insurance. And I can't wait for tonight's show. This was a good one. Uh, John Stanky and obviously Gary Kelly struggling to be able to make it in this period. I think they're doing okay. Jim, uh, look forward to hearing from Lemonade uh, just a few weeks after the IPO. We'll see you tonight. Thank you. Uh, Jim Cramer and Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at CNBCMakeIt.com slash courses.